Good afternoon. Well, the answer to Todd's question to the kids is the ninth commandment is thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, found in Exodus 20:16. The New International Version of that text reads, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And the New Living Translation is, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Many of you were probably brought up as I was, believing that bearing false witness means don't tell a lie, ever, under any circumstances. But I've always been troubled by the story of Rahab in the Bible. You remember the story. Joshua chapter 2 gives us the details. Rahab is the woman of Jericho who hid the two spies sent by Joshua to do reconnaissance before that famous battle of Jericho when the Lord miraculously delivered the city into the hands of the Israelites. Upon entering Jericho, the two spies went to Rahab's house and she hid them on her roof under some stalks of flax. The king of Jericho heard that these spies had come into the city and he sent a message to Rahab demanding that she turn over the two men. Rahab replied that she did indeed see the spies, but that they'd left the city and she didn't know which way they'd gone. For good measure, she further told the king's men that they'd better hurry up after them and try to catch up with them. Many years ago, I actually wrote in the margin of my Bible next to this story, didn't she tell a lie? Sarah Sumner, in her May 27 article, The Seven Levels of Lying in Christianity Today says, Rahab was commended not for her lying, but for her faith, according to Hebrews 11. Her good deed was that of welcoming the spies in peace. By faith, she risked her life, trusting that the spies would later save her and her family. Rahab feared the Lord. She trusted the living God more than she feared Jericho's king. Rahab's story seems to suggest that there are times when it's not such a bad thing to lie. What are we supposed to think about this? Is it ever okay to lie? In preparing for this message, I was struck by something. Is it possible there could be a distinction between bearing false witness and lying? I always thought they were the same thing. But it seems there is just such a distinction. What causes us to be untruthful, besides the general fact that we're all fallible human beings? Where does allowing another person to get a false impression fit in here? Aren't there more occasions in the Bible where some form of lying seems to be tolerated or even condoned? We've heard from the past speakers in this series on the Ten Commandments that God's purpose in giving us the commandments are so we can live well in community with each other and with Him. Today, I'd like to explore how the Ninth Commandment contributes to our living in community according to God's will. Heavenly Father, I ask for your presence this morning 
for me as your humble servant and for those who will hear this message. As you see fit, please bless those who are present today according to their needs. In Christ's name, amen. Bearing false witness is a legal term. The wording of this commandment denotes giving false testimony in a court of justice under oath, testimony that could injure another person. The commandment expressly forbids this, but it doesn't stop there. Not surprisingly, its connotation is something that encompasses much more. According to Ellicott's commentary for English readers, this commandment denounced also the far more common, yes, yet scarcely less injurious practice of spreading untrue reports about others, thus injuring them in men's esteem. Ellicott says the Ninth Commandment is broad enough to cover both lying under oath as well as the more informal form of transgression, for example, slander or gossip. I believe that this broad application is what God intends. Proverbs 14.5 is one of the many texts that address lying. It says, an honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. The text clearly says that bearing false witness is lying. I think we can all agree on that, right? It's pretty straightforward to me. But what if no one else is hurt by our lies? Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that lying encompasses much more than bearing false witness. This gets complicated because does that mean it's okay to say something untrue as long as we're not hurting someone else? Can we feel free to tell the occasional white lie with impunity? I've been wrestling with this because in the months since I was assigned this commandment to speak to you about, I've become aware of many instances where I or others weren't 100% truthful and no one seemed to be harmed by it. So I'd like to spend a good deal of my time today exploring what I call gray areas. To me, complications with regard to lying center around this realization. Bearing false witness is always lying, but lying isn't always bearing false witness. Seems to me there are many gray areas around this issue of lying, even in the Bible, and I'll get to those later. So putting aside the obvious instances of bearing false witness, testifying falsely in court, slander, libel, or gossip, I'd like to take a look first at the lies that we humans commonly tell. The June 27 issue of National Geographic magazine contained an article titled, Why We Lie, The Science Behind Our Deceptive Ways. The article presented research on the categories that lies typically fall into. The research showed that those main categories are self-promotion, 44% of lies. This includes lying to gain financial benefits, your Bernie Madoff types, or to gain other benefits such as power. Those would be your Richard Nixon types. It also includes lying to make a good impression or to inflate one's image. 
our own president claiming his inauguration crowd was larger than Barack Obama's first inauguration crowd. Then there's inflating one's qualification for career advancement, like padding a resume, or a person telling tall tales in order to appear more important, such as in the case of former anchor Brian Williams. And his case shows that we can lie to the point where we start to believe our own lies. The second category is self-protection. That's 30, 36% of lies. This includes lies to cover our mistakes. Think about Ryan Lochte, the Olympic swimming competitor. He claimed to have been robbed at gunpoint during the 2016 Olympics, when actually he and his friends had gotten drunk and were confronted by security guards after they had damaged some property. Ryan didn't have the courage to admit the truth. Self-protection can also be told in order to escape or evade other people. How many of you have let the answering machine pick up a call when you're at home and you could answer, but you choose not to? You can see from caller ID that it's that annoying person you just don't want to speak to. You want to protect your privacy, your time, and your peaceful evening. A third example in this category is your boss asks how that quarterly report is coming along and you tell her it's almost complete when you know you've actually just barely started. You want to protect your professional reputation and maybe even your job. The third category of lies, about 11%, includes positively or negatively impacting others. On the positive side, it's the desire to be social or polite, or to help people, or to avoid rudeness. Someone asks you to do a favor for them. You tell them, it's no trouble, when actually it's a very big inconvenience. Or you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, so you don't tell them the truth. The negative aspect of this category is lies that are told to intentionally hurt people. These are your bearing false witness lies. The last category of lies are where the reasons for lying are unclear. This is only about 9% of lies. These are people who may not even know why they told a lie. It also includes your pathological liars. In the same article, Cicela Bach, an ethicist at Harvard University, who's one of the most prominent thinkers on the subject of lying, says, Lying is so easy compared to other ways of gaining power. It's much easier to lie to get somebody's money or wealth than to hit them over the head or rob a bank. In his fascinating book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, <clears throat> Dan Ariely performed scores of experiments to explore people's dishonest behavior. He talks about the term ego depletion to explain that when we're tired, lying or some other form of giving in to temptation can be easier than telling the truth. Let's face it, it's harder to fight off any temptation when we're tired. At the end of a typical day, our resistance is worn down, especially if we've been fighting off temptations throughout the day denying ourselves various forms of self-gratification from eating that piece of chocolate cake to holding ourselves back from cheating on that exam. 
Remember when Christ was tempted by Satan in the desert of Judea? You can read about it in Matthew 4. It was after Christ had been fasting for 40 days and nights that Satan came to tempt him, first with food of all things. Most of us are worn out at the end of a day during which we've eaten, but 40 days without food? Christ relied on scripture and on the Holy Spirit to bring scriptures to mind in order to fight the devil's temptations. What an example for us. What strength it must have taken for Christ to stand up to these temptations in his weakened state. We humans don't ordinarily have that kind of courage and strength. If we're in a tight spot where we could easily lie to save our own skin, only divine help can keep us truthful. Humans start lying pretty early in life, actually as early as the age of two. Take a look at this video, which is a part of the National Geographic article we've been talking about. Now, Dr. King says that the first type of lies that a child tells is to cover his or her own mistakes, the second category we saw previously. As they get older, children learn to lie to spare the feelings of others, the third category. Dr. King asks us to imagine a world where there's no lying and asserts that it would be a cruel world indeed. Don't you think so too? Can you imagine the havoc that would be released on relationships if everyone told the truth all the time? For example, how do I look in this outfit? That's the question. The answer, like you're going to a Halloween party. Question posed by a boss. How did your meeting with the client go? Answer, it went badly because I wasn't prepared. Question posed by someone who prepared the dinner that you just finished eating. Did you enjoy your dinner? Answer, not at all. It tasted like cardboard infused with hydraulic fluid. No invitations to that house again. The very fabric of social interaction as we know it would unravel. Dr. King says that a child's ability to lie indicates that the child's communication skills and ability to read other people's emotions are developing normally. Repeat, the ability to lie shows that a child's communication skills are developing normally. This should not be taken as an encouragement to lie. It only indicates that the child is developing normally in his social skills. And I quickly point out that the child in the video we saw did eventually break down and tell the truth when asked directly if she had peeked at the card. The truth comes naturally, says psychologist Bruno Verschwer in the same article. But lying takes effort and a sharp mind. Lying is part of the developmental process, like walking and talking. Children learn to lie between the ages of two and five and lie most when they are testing their independence. And of course, as a child grows into adulthood, the nature of his lies becomes more sophisticated and the stakes typically higher. Now that we've explored the science of lies, 
Let's look at more of those gray areas in the Bible where it seems lying was tolerated or condoned. Now, it's clear that the Bible condemns lying. In such texts as Proverbs 6:17, a lying tongue is in the list of things that the Lord hates. But here's one of those gray areas. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 5 reads, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I, has, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Saul replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Dr. Joseph Nally Jr. in an article titled, Did God Tell Samuel to Lie? states, God cannot lie. However, God is also omniscient and all-knowing. God knew what Samuel would be asked, which was, do you come in peace? How did Samuel respond? Samuel responded, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Thereafter, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Samuel told the truth. These were some of the reasons why he came. Dr. Nally's article continues. God has a very dim view of a Christian lying in a court of law or lying to our neighbors, etc. At this point in Saul's life, however, I would question if he was really a neighbor or an enemy of God since he had already been rejected of God. Ecclesiastes 3, 7 says, there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. God chose not to reveal to Saul all of the reasons for Samuel's visit because of Saul's issues, and Saul definitely had some serious issues. Dr. Nally goes on to point out that God is all-knowing, and in his wisdom, he doesn't reveal everything to us all at once. For example, we don't know when Christ is coming again. Only the, God the Father knows that. Dr. Nally says that just because we are not omniscient does not mean we have been lied to. Back to Rahab for a minute. Earlier, I read you Sarah Sumner's quote that Rahab trusted God more than she feared the king of Jericho. Ms. Sumner goes on to say, but she did not trust God to the point of watching how he would save her if she replied to the king in truth. Now, I'm not so sure I believe that. It seems pretty harsh to me. As we just discussed, humans do lie to protect each other. But even if what Miss Sumner says is true, 
Rahab was still celebrated for her faith. It makes me conclude that God knows the hearts of everyone, and only he can sit in judgment of us. We're all at different stages of spiritual growth. I note that even Hebrews 11 tells us that what Rahab did was incredibly brave. Speaking of bravery, Todd and I were talking about acts of bravery that involved deception throughout history. The Underground Railroad, the people who hid Jews during the Holocaust. These actions of, uh, of these brave people have been debated among religious thinkers for a long, long time. Did their actions constitute lying? To apply what Dr. Nally said, the people who owned slaves and those who were intent on exterminating the Jews were not neighbors in the biblical sense. Their intentions were based on greed or their own twisted view of the less than humanity of others. There are more occasions in the Bible where people either lied or misled others. Would you like to hear about those? In Exodus 1, 15 through 21, when the Egyptian king told the Hebrew midwives to kill all the Hebrew baby boys, they disobeyed him. The king found out and asked them why. They told him that the Hebrew women were very vigorous and delivered their babies before the midwives could arrive on the scene. Was that always true in every case for every birth of every Hebrew baby? We don't really know. But verses 20 and 21 says that God did not condemn the midwives, but was kind to them and gave them families of their own. In Jeremiah 38, 24 through 28, Jeremiah can be said to have lied to the princes about his meeting with Zedekiah, king of Judah. Zedekiah had summoned Jeremiah because he wanted to know if he should surrender to the Babylonians. The king didn't want the princes to know what he was asking of Jeremiah because he was afraid of the princes. Zedekiah asked Jeremiah not to divulge the conversation with regard to the Babylonians. As with the story of Samuel, when asked, Jeremiah told the princes of one reason for his visit to Zedekiah, but he left out the part about the Babylonians. In Matthew Henry's commentary on this story, he says that the less men fear God, the more they fear men. Zedekiah was an evil king, and he had many reasons to fear men. I think the Benson Bible commentary gets to the crux of this issue of gray areas. Benson says, for a man is not bound in all cases to discover the whole truth, particularly to those who have no right to the knowledge of it, which in this case, the princes did not. In Dan Ariely's book on lying, he points out an instance where even God seems to have lied. God had come to Abraham to deliver the news that Sarah would bear a child. Sarah, eavesdropping on the conversation, laughed to herself about her ability to have pleasure, as she put it, and about Abraham's ability to, well, participate in creating the promised child. God questioned Abraham about Sarah's laughter, saying, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? 
And then God uttered one of my all-time favorite passages in the Bible, is anything too hard for the Lord? Says Ariely, some religious scholars say that God protected Abraham from what Sarah was really thinking, making it seem as if Sarah doubted God's power rather than laughing at Abraham's virility, which undoubtedly would have hurt his feelings. To quote Ariely further, Rashi, the famous medieval rabbi, thought that this passage illustrated that there's such a thing as too much honesty. Sometimes complete honesty puts domestic peace at risk. Much like God in this passage, we too might need to prioritize familiar harmony over complete disclosure from time to time, which is an amazing rationalization if ever there was one. In the biblical cases we've discussed, those who were intent on perpetrating evil were not permitted to know everything there was to know. I believe we can take our cue from these examples. There are those such as Sarah Sumner and Immanuel Kant who put forth that lying is always wrong under all circumstances. But life is more nuanced and convoluted than that. More often than not, than not there are conflicting sets of values that must be weighed against one another and prioritized. All bearing false witness is lying, but lying is much more than bearing false witness. The former is cut and dry. The latter is much more complex. Having said all this, it seems that the God we serve can not only be a God of absolutes, but a God of gray areas as well. He knows that the perfect world he created is now very much imperfect. He is, after all, omniscient. Just as the Israelites in the wilderness were permitted to veer from God's ideal diet due to extenuating circumstances, because our world is so flawed, I believe God understands that there are complications that we must deal with on a daily basis and that for his purposes, he often allows for greater truth to emerge. When a person lies, something called cognitive dissonance is created. That is, a person holds within his mind a number of conflicting thoughts at the same time. Lying requires energy to suppress the truth, to come up with a believable alternative to that truth, to lie, to tell that lie convincingly, and then to remember the lie so you won't get caught in the future. So says Adam Dachis on his Lifehacker website. Experts have proven that when lying, a person's heart rate, rate of respiration, and even the skin's ability to conduct electricity are affected. These physiological changes are what lie detector machines are based on. That's a lot of stress on the body. So even though we humans tell many white lies in order to exist in polite society, doing that can stress us out. Our great creator knew this. In fact, since he is our creator, he knows how best to keep these magnificent machines called our bodies operating at peak capacity. All his commandments are geared for this purpose. They're not to deprive us of fun. 
They're to keep us happy and healthy and able to have more fun throughout all eternity. He knew of the stressors that would be produced by lying. So in his commandments, he sought to spare us by addressing falsehood. He also knew that we'd wear out if we didn't have one day of Sabbath rest per week, as we discussed in one of our previous sermons in this series. He also knew the turmoil that could be caused in our lives by stealing from others, having illicit affairs, and coveting what others have, etc. There's so much more that could be said about this topic. There's not enough time to discuss cheating, exaggeration, illegal doping in sports, details of lives ruined by false statements, or how lying by politicians wears away at the fabric of society. Don't even get me started on that one. The last commandment in this series will be presented next week. And as I reflect on all the commandments, particularly the ninth that we've been talking about today, I'm struck by how much we need God's help in not only understanding the broad implications of each commandment, but in abiding by the commandments. Fortunately, we don't have to live up to God's moral code on our own power. Christ's resurrection means that he's already conquered the law by living a sinless life. He's paved the way for us to claim his victories as ours. It's not a simple matter to delineate exactly how we should keep the ninth commandment or any of the other commandments. It takes courage to tell the truth when we stand to suffer for it. I believe that keeping God's commandments is an art that must be taught to each of us by the ultimate artist, God, through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can teach us how to navigate through the maze of gray areas that challenge our attempts to live in community with others and with God. Yes, sometimes it can be complicated to determine what's right and what's wrong, but we're not left to do that alone. Christ, our navigator, God who transcends gray areas, is available to us at all times, and he asks us, is anything too hard for the Lord?